For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. Hello, beautiful people, and thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You're here because you know that you want to get the very best information out there about medical cannabis, and this is the place to do it. I am seeking out experts and innovators all across the medical cannabis space in order to bring you all the very best information possible. And speaking of y'all, please head over to Stitcher, head over to Apple, leave a rating. It really helps for more people to see that this podcast exists and that they can listen to it and get this information and educate themselves on this incredible plant. And please, please reach out to me, Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know how I can do better, what guests you might like to see. I'd love to hear from you and I want to be able to talk to you. So please do that. And today's guest is Mr. Mark Mangiri. Mark works for a company called Hemp Synergistics, and they have created a really, really innovative process of taking raw hemp oil and converting it into a powder in a way that nobody's ever done before. So it's five times as strong, it has no taste, it can be mixed in really easily, and used for creating different formulations. It's super cool. We get really deep into the details of how this works, and it was just really fun talking to Mark. He's a great guy with some really great experience in the nutraceutical industry. One thing I do have to warn you about, though, is that there sounds like a little bit like somebody's moving some stuff around every few seconds in the background on Mark's end. Not really sure what that was. Hopefully it's not too distracting. I tried to remove as much of them as possible. But if you can get past that, it's a really fun conversation with lots of great information. So please enjoy this episode with Mark Mangieri. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast, and today's guest is Mr. Mark Mangiri. Mark began in the nutraceutical industry in 1998 and started product formulation in 2000. Since then, he has launched six brands, including his own brand, in 2005. 
By 2015, that startup product reached the shelves of every GNC and vitamin shop around the country. And from there, Mark transitioned into creating functional foods and fortified snacks, which led him directly into his current role as a director of sales and product development at Hemp Synergistics, which is a biotech company that provides high-quality THC custom cannabinoid formulations. That was a mouthful. But thank you so much, Mark. Welcome to the show. Matthew, thanks for having me. It's really cool to be here. Great. Great. Now, normally on my show, I'm speaking to a lot of different researchers and physicians and shy away from specific products as I'm not trying to plug products, but you really struck me. I have to give a shout out to Marissa for connecting us. And then your product isn't specifically a product as much as um, a new way to process cannabis. And I found it to be fascinating. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe we can backtrack a little bit and if you don't mind sharing how you made that jump from traditional nutraceuticals over into uh, the cannabis world as a nutraceutical. For sure. Um, and, and you hit the nail on the head right off the top. Um, it's uh, We see the CBD and the other cannabinoids not necessarily as an industry or, you know, a, a retail um, uh, locations like like the CBD shops, we see it as an, an ingredient, uh, an ingredient to be used functionally in a variety of different ways, nutraceuticals, functional foods. And that's how it, it became a good fit for me. And so in backing up in high school and, and uh, early college years, I was really into sports and training and, you know, all that that entails. And I got into uh, sports supplements just as a part of the culture and, and uh, to increase my performance and, and became engrossed in how they work and why, why, you know, why they work for me specifically and the science behind it. Um, at the time I was at Penn State, uh, I was an agriculture and food science major. So it kind of played into a lot of the topics that I was actively learning about. Penn State was one of the pioneering universities to first study creatine monohydrate on the baseball team. So it was specific, very specific to me, what I was interested in, what I was doing. And, um, and, and it kind of grew from there. After graduation, um, I found myself back in Pittsburgh, that's where I'm from, uh, working for a contract manufacturer of nutraceuticals. And um, my fascination and in, in, in just general curiosity kept growing. Uh, and by, um, like I, like you introduced me and by 2000, I became part of a, a product development team and started a few brands. And then in 2005, I started my own brand and it was called Biorhythm. And we did, we did, uh, pretty well. It was a slow growth process. And along the way, if you remember from like the late nineties, all the way to recent years, there's always some new ingredient in the news that's making headlines, right? And I can't even remember them all, but you'll see a spike in popularity and then a drop off. And it usually takes about a year or two years to see this spike and then the drop off. And when CBD and, and the different um, uh, cannabinoids start becoming more popular, of course, I paid attention to that because it's where I came from. I was in functional foods by then. Uh, but uh, it, 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 it maintained its popularity and then it kept growing and it's growing at a point that it, it supersedes any other previous 
popular ingredient. But this one was different in that they were all the products that were coming to the market were only or significantly built around the CBD phytocannabinoid. And that was the strange thing that struck me as a product designer is why it's just this one ingredient. Why not couple it with, with other ingredients and um, uh, just being in the industry and, and knowing uh, people in town here, I came across hemp synergistics earlier this year and I got a behind the scenes look for the first time uh, of what's going on, how this works. I spoke to farmers, I spoke to processors. Uh, what we do here is we're the last stage remediator. So we take it from a crude oil to something extremely refined, ready for consumption. And so I learned about that process as well. And the, the, the idea of all these products and stores and companies all built around this one ingredient struck me as something that's gonna change really soon. And um, so my conversation with the management here was, I see this as an ingredient and here's the way if, if I come on board, here's, here's uh, you know, my angle. And initially it was just uh, let's make a brand and use CBD as one of the ingredients. But the reason why, the reason why there's not very many products out there with significant support ingredients into these different tinctures or soft gels is because CBD and, and the other cannabinoids are, and hemp oil in general is very hard to work with. Uh, it's very viscous, sticky, right? It's prone to um, it's prone to oxidation. Sometimes you'll see uh, like darker spots if you get your hands on a pure THC uh, THC free broad spectrum distillate. You'll see like brown spots on it, and oftentimes you'll see tinctures that um, have to be in, in dark bottles or gummies that that are packaged dark, and that's to protect it from oxidation. Um, and we can get into how and why that occurs. And uh, so our goal as a team was to turn that into something that's more durable, more functional. Can we use it in different applications and affordable? That's, and, and that's another component is the, the pricing is still very high because the technology to bring it to a finished good, a lot of hands have to touch it. Uh, a lot of very, ex it has to run through a lot of very expensive equipment. And, and so that's pushing and keeping the price high. And so what we developed was a way to turn that sticky, viscous hemp oil into a very dry, free flowing powder that's protected from oxidation. This powder will not turn dark. Uh, it is not affected by sunlight. Um, it's not affected by uh, just open air. And those are a lot of risk factors for um, a high potency hemp oil uh, to, to lower its quality, lower its biological value. So the product that we developed is called BioDry and its sister product is uh, just plainly named CBD Bake Mix. Uh, and the, the BioDry has a, a CBD concentration of 50%. And the CBD Bake Mix, which is much more durable for obvious reasons, has a, uh, has a CBD content of 20%. 
And I, I, that, that's a, that's a uh, you know a long distance from 1998 to literally about two weeks ago. <laughs> um, but but uh, that's that, that's the short story. And again, the reason why we're excited and 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 you know we're doing we're doing a decent amount of press on this is because it's an industry first, and we see it as a change, and not only how CBD is taken, but also how CBD is perceived. Um, and again, I, I lead with CBD, but the, the other minor cannabinoids are equally uh, as important. And the same science and, and uh, refinement techniques apply to all the all the cannabinoids. Uh, so uh, the the very long story short is turning it into uh, this powder gives gives formulators and and users freedom and flexibility. It gives them, it gives formulators freedom to now put products like this into a hard shell capsule and then complement it or accentuate the effects with other ingredients, whether it be, you know, immune boosters, you know, vitamin D, zinc. Uh, that's obviously popular now. Uh, general multivitamin, you know, for, for daily consumption and all the way to sleep aids and, and you know, you name it. Uh, so it really it's going to open the door to a lot a big variety of of possible benefits. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for diving into all that. So I have a lot of questions. We're yeah, gonna, go we're, we're gonna we're gonna go real deep into all of this. So uh, trying to figure out exactly where to start, but I'm gonna start with the other minor phytocannabinoids that you had mentioned. And this is something that really grabbed my attention about this product is that it is not working as an isolate. It is working with what they call full spectrum. And I've spoken to a number of different physicians that have been working in the field for a long time about this conundrum of isolates versus full spectrum. And there is 100% agreement across all the physicians that full spectrum is far more effective. And so it was really good to see that you were including that into into this product here. And so if you don't mind diving into that just a little bit, um, talking more about some of these, what you call minor cannabinoids. Right. Right. So uh, I think one of your podcasts, you talked about the need for uh, more research, right? And so the, the currently... Uh, CBD and, and other cannabinoids. There's a there's about 2,200 studies. 2,200 studies done in the last two years on CBD. Now that may sound like a nice number in total. I think there's about six or seven thousand studies done on it. And again, it, it looks like a big number. By comparison, I mentioned earlier about creatine started back when I was I was in college in the mid 90s. Creatine currently has 60,000 studies on it. And in the last 48 months, there was 6,700 studies done on it. Now, creatine's, you know, effectiveness and how it works and how you should take it is very well established. But still, it was studied at a rate three times higher than, than CBD, the most popular new ingredient on the market. So there needs, there still needs funding and, and more, and more um, uh, research done on it. Um, you know, that being said, and my background isn't specifically chemistry, you know, and, and knowing all these details, but uh, the miners, CBG, CBN, one of them is THCV. That's the one I'm keeping my eye on. THCV can, ha, has the potential of, of helping people with blood, blood sugar problems. You know, if you look at, 
the United States uh, and problems with overconsumption of sugar, just general overconsumption. A lot of it at, at one point or another is related to or is a function of poor blood sugar. THCV early studies show that it's extremely effective at helping regulate blood sugar in lieu of insulin. Now, I am no way suggesting that you know somebody can substitute that. Number one, most of the miners are far too expensive right now because of this the extraction techniques and in the in the in the low volume that they exist naturally it has to be refined multiple times some of them are becoming less expensive but in general these things are costing anywhere from 20 to $60,000 a kilo that makes it that makes it price prohibitive uh, outside of research but each one of these miners are their own little superstar for for various reasons whether it be to help with anxiety PTSD uh, sleep disorders you know blood sugar problems in general they're too expensive now that's changed just in the last six months pricing has been coming down so we haven't dug too deep into the miners we know they exist and we we want them present there's something called the entourage effect and we want the user to have that entourage effect. And so in our broad spectrum products, uh, we have at least two miners uh, detectable and others also present. So in terms of miners, uh, that's the extent of, of what I can effectively you know, uh, talk about. The next popular besides CBD is probably going to be uh, either CBG or CBN. And those are the two that are coming down in price. And right now, the, the best form realistically is the tinctures, um, you know, until we, we get our hands on it and are able to convert it to a nice, fine, you know, easy to use, uh, easy to use powder. Yeah. So, so first of all, I spoke with Dr. Jeffrey Block, who's an expert on the endocannabinoid system. And one of the things that he is a massive proponent of is moving away from the term entourage effect and moving to the term ensemble effect. Because if you think about an entourage, it's because, you know, you've got some central figure and then a whole bunch of people hanging around, right? That's what the entourage is. And he wants to get rid of that because that means the reason why that term first existed is because THC is the main player, and then there's the entourage of all of these other phytocannabinoids around it. It's like, no, let's not do that. Let's talk about this ensemble effect, because they all work in chorus together, not just focused on this one molecule of you know, 130 that exist within the plant. So right, that's right. that. So I try to promote that, that ensemble as much as possible, because I think it's cool. Awesome. I'll switch over my uh, my verbiage from now on. And it's a good point because, you know, THC um, and CBD, they're the most prominent uh, cannabinoids. But CBG, CBN, THCV, they, they have a far greater effect at much lower doses. And so just because they're, they exist at one-tenth or one-twentieth the concentration of CBD doesn't make them one-tenth or one-twentieth effective. It just means specifically that they're effective at lower doses. And we're seeing that we're seeing that as research. And so they're not tag alongs. They're the star of the show in some in some cases. And so that's a good point. And and I'm switching over to ensembles. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and also those those two specific cannabinoids that you discussed, the CBG and CBN are really interesting because they're age related. And so 
there's a peak of CBG in about the, the four to six week range within the propagation process. And so if you harvest your plants earlier, you're gonna have higher CBG because it's a precursor to THC. And so it starts to lower as the THC increases. So that's, that's age um, prohibitive, if you will. And so you wanna get the younger one. And then CBN is on the opposite end of the spectrum, whereas as the cannabis ages post-harvest, the CBN starts to grow. So. It's fascinating that these two molecules are becoming more and more popular, and we, they're two that we have actual control over the amounts of them depending on the age of the plant. So pretty cool. The fact that they exist that way, um, it, it kind of speaks to the way they exist after harvested because they're both sensitive, more sensitive this, than, than CB, uh, CBD. They're, they're both more sensitive to heat. They're both more sensitive to light. Um, and so it, it, it makes them, it makes them, it makes it a, a more difficult product to manufacture. If you want to do it right, it makes the storage conditions more strict. Um, and so that, that makes, gives us all the more reason to try to, uh, standardize. And that's what this is about standardization. It, it, it makes it, it, uh, it highlights more of a need for us to standardize its existence, you know, um, and, and that doesn't necessarily make it better or worse. It just makes it more stable. The, the fact that it, it can convert to THC, it's not a good thing, you know, in an end product. Um, uh, the fact that it can denature when, uh, w- when exposed to heat or sunlight is not a good thing. And, and so the, these are the problems that we're trying to solve versus just putting it in a dark bottle. Of course, of course. And so there's a lot of steps in the process to get to the point where you folks are working at. And so you know, you've got the growers and they have to harvest it and then get that product over to the processors to create the oil. And then you guys take that oil and then do your process on it in order to create this, this powdered product. Now, the traditionally, I understand that there's this nano emulsifying procedure that is traditionally how you go from the oil to the powder. But what you guys have done is something totally new, game changer in the industry. So if you might talk about those different steps and how you got to where you are. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, it, it is a game changer because of the freedom and flexibility and stability. The good thing is I didn't come from the hemp industry or the cannabis industry. Uh, when I walked in here, uh, I didn't know much about nano emulsification. Uh, we barely, uh, I mean, we, we have the equipment to actually nano emulsify here, but it was just used to understand the difference between our product and what's currently out there. Um, the nano emulsification, in addition to the normal process of getting a hemp oil into a tincture is already very, uh, laborious. And it, again, a lot of, ex- of expensive equipment. You then have to bring that into um, uh, uh, like a sonicator, they're called, and, and to nano emulsify. And that takes a lot of time. It produces an enormous amount of heat. When you nano emulsify, you have to pack the, the product that you're emulsifying. And you can emulsify any oil, uh, but you have to pack it in ice and, and it gets it gets so hot. And we were we were monkeying around just, you know, seeing, seeing what happens if we do this or if we do that. And we, we had it in the, the, the sonicator and it's, it, it's like this, this probe that goes down into a solution and the probe shakes so fast, you can't even see it. It just looks like it's standing sit, still. It's so violent 
if you get close to it, it makes your teeth hurt. It's like, it's a, and so uh, it, it's, you know, buzzing along and, and we see all this steam coming up and we're like, what's, why is it steaming? All the ice <laughs> melted. It didn't even, it didn't even go to water. It just straight sublimated. And <laughs> if you remember that from ninth grade science, yeah. and so it, and, um, and who knows what the, what the temperature actually got to. Um, and so then obviously we stopped the process. I guess my point is when you put a product through nanoemulsification, the product is at risk. The, the product is at risk for being denatured, uh, being changed into something different. You, you also add a lot of time and you also add a lot of cost. After you nanoemulsify that product and you want a powder, you have to then do this spray dry process. Now, we never went that far and did it. We, we saw the, the process up to the point where we sublimated ice and, and thought, all right, this is not scalable in a reasonable way, right? And so, um, but, but if you want to currently, if you want a CBD powder, you have to then get that nano emulsification and then do a spray dry. And that's, again, it involves uh, temperature, pressure, uh, and, and takes a long time. So that's what's keeping the pricing so high. That was, that's what makes, you know, these drinks so expensive is because it takes so much work to get to that point. Now, um, and, and I'm talking in terms of a powder. With with the biodry process, it's a much more linear process. It's a patent pending process, and it's a simple combination of a polysaccharide, which is a, a root starch, and a fiber. And uh, at our highest concentration, the hemp oil, the the, the THC broad spectrum hemp oil distillate, is about 55% of the volume of the product by weight. And so if you're looking for a high CBD content, we can get it as high as 50% by weight uh, because those, those broad spectrum distillates are 90% CBD by weight. Uh, and of course, like I said, the, the, the other minor cannabinoids are, are also present. And, and so the, the process is, is much more linear. It looks a lot more like, like a food science project. Uh, versus a chemistry project. And the throughput and the scalability is far greater than, than the nano the nano emulsification route. Um, we, we've, we've successfully produced several batches. Uh, I believe our official launch is going to be at the beginning of next month. Uh, and we're confident that we can meet any demand because it's an, it's an easily duplicated system you know, with minimal investment on, on a, uh, on a production side. And that's where a lot of my history is, is production, scalability, and ma uh, monitoring that retail price, you know, because the lower the price, the, the more people who are, are going to be able to use it. And so this whole process speaks to that and, and is, is one of the reasons why it's such a cool new product. Uh, it's checking all the boxes that, that we need. Yeah. So speaking of checking those boxes, bioavailability is a big box that y'all are checking. And so digging around a little bit, there's a pesky enzyme called cytochrome P453A4 or just CYP3A4. And this tends to block a lot of the efficient uptake of these different phytocannabinoids 
because the stomach is and the guts are producing all this. So what have you done to get around that in order to increase the bioavailability? So the, the bioavailability, backing up a little bit, simply means the rate at which an ingredient makes it into your bloodstream. So let's say you take 100 milligrams of CBD by tincture. Your best case scenario is to absorb into the bloodstream somewhere in the mid-teens, uh, like 15, 14, 15, 16% of that is going to make it in. Uh, soft gels are lower. They're in the single digits. Um, and, and versus smoking is about the highest, about 40%. Again, a lot more research is needed on on the conditions you know creating the best possible scenario for you to absorb things a lot of a lot of products say take with food or take with a fat uh, that seems to help but your real roadblock is your own body's reaction to a, a foreign body and i don't care how natural an ingredient is there's a re there's a reaction whenever you put something in your body. These cannabinoids are no exception. So specifically with the bio dry, the, the, the cannabinoid has two enemies. Number one in the mouth, uh, your, your, your body can produce uh, something called amylase. And, and that begins the digestion process in your mouth. You swallow it, it goes into your stomach, and of course, you have a very, very, very acidic environment, which can also harm the cannabinoids. Uh, specifically with BioDry and the bake mix, that, that polysaccharide, that root, uh, that, that, that root starch, fully encases each hemp oil, uh, it fully encases the hemp oil molecule. It protects that cannabinoid. Uh, it protects it from sunlight. It protects it from acid. Acid cannot penetrate uh, this polysaccharide, no matter what. So the absorption of the cannabinoid begins in your small intestine. That's where most of the absorption occurs uh, of any, any food or nutrient that you uh, take. So by the time it goes, the bio dry ingredient goes through your mouth, down into your stomach, it reaches the, the small intestines 100% intact. Now, I am not saying you get a 100% absorption, but it, by that point, you've had 0% loss. And so that alone is a huge win for bioavailability, right? And after that, your body releases uh, these defenses, the, these, these enzymes, like you call. Now, the P450 enzyme group is a very common group of enzymes. Have you, um, have you ever got a prescription and it says, do not take with grapefruit juice. Uh, the, the reason is the grapefruit juice, there's an ingredient in there. I believe it's called Bergmotten. It inhibits a very specific enzyme. And that very specific enzyme is known to attack a lot of different foreign entities and specifically a lot of pharmaceuticals. How I became aware of it was back in the nutraceutical world. There are some nutraceuticals or former nutraceuticals that are subject to metabolite, uh, being metabolized by these, by these P450 enzymes. And by metabolize, I mean destroy. And so these enzymes are on, are on a mission to destroy these ingredients, specifically any hormone-altering ingredients. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the Mark McGuire 
home run derby days, uh, the, the pro-hormones or the andros were popular. And these, these androstenediones are very prone to being metabolized or destroyed by this P450 enzyme. And back then, we developed a, sort of an antidote to that. And it just so happens that these phytocannabinoids are attacked in the exact same way. So when you when, when that when that phytocannabinoid reaches your gastro it reaches your your small intestines, these P450 enzymes, specifically CYP3A4, is released and with the instructions to a uh, suicide mission to destroy that cannabinoid, and that's where probably 80, 90 percent of your loss occurs is at that point. Um, and so uh, again, speaking to the very concentrated nature of the powder. If you put it in a pill, you can add a other ingredients in there to counteract these enzymes. And that we, we put together a group of ingredients named Cannaboost that is, are designed to temporarily inhibit those P450 enzymes that are known and very easily predicted to attack the cannabinoid. And they're ingredients like Naringin, black pepper extract. We use a brand name, Bioperin. Uh, curcumin is one of them. Sometimes you'll see people use curcumin. And those ingredients are great anti-inflammatories on their own. A lot of people take them just as is. But specifically, when you couple them with a CBD or CBG or CBN or any cannabinoid, they are there to increase the bioavailability by temporarily uh, inhibiting those enzymes from attacking this cannabinoid. It's well-established science on how this works. And for some reason, it just hasn't been addressed in this industry yet. And so we, we're real excited. We have, a, we have a capsule product coming to market to sort of demonstrate that uh, uh, these two ingredients work really well in concert together. Well, these two groups of ingredients work really, really well in concert and produce a cumulative, uh, very positive, uh, biological effect. Yeah. And I was so excited to see that I've been using bioprint for a long time just because I want to, I want to get the most out of my turmeric or curcumin, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and, yes. and it, seeing how that they can work together and specifically seeing curcumin in a formulation with CBD, because I don't know of two more anti-inflammatory products that exist on the planet. And so seeing them work together and then boosted by the bioprint was Super cool. Yes. You have two thumbs up from me on that one. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. And and the Bioprint is produced by a company called Sabinza Corporation, who's been in the industry longer than me uh, and producing at a very high level. Uh, they've done their own studies specifically, and the Bioprint or Bioprint increases the, the, the absorbability of the curcumin, which increases the absorbability of the CBD. So it's this nice... Uh, ensemble of, agree of ingredients that that um, really and truly complement each other in every way possible. Yeah, very cool. It's very cool. So I um, wanted to back up just a little bit. And so you guys claim that the BioDry has five times the concentration of these other nanoemulsified powders. So number one, how are you able to prove that that's the case? And number two, um, I mean, I know you can't get into any specifics, but what is it that you're doing that's able to allow you to have such a small amount of it have the same efficacy of something that's you know, 
five times as much? Well, the, 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 answer, the short answer is we have a different process. We started doing this bio-dry before we comp- understood what nanoemulsification was, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, you know, one way to keep an open mind about any process is to not really dive too deep into what the standard is, right? And not to, not, you know, not to throw shade on the standard. It's just sometimes it can sway you in the wrong way. And I, let me go off track real quick. I made, uh, before I started, uh, before I came on board here, I was into the functional foods and I had this idea to make an almond butter keto truffle. So it's an almond butter core and this, you know, souped up sugar-free chocolate that's, you know, one carbohydrate, two carbohydrates and zero grams of sugar. And I said to myself, do not learn how everybody else makes a truffle. Just figure it out yourself. And then when you got it down, go back and look. And so I did it. It literally took me two months to figure it all out, exactly how to do it. And then I went to, you know, how it's made on YouTube and I just to see you know, what, what they do. And don't they do it exactly the same way I figured it out? You, you know, exact. And, and so sometimes that can come back and be and you know, waste time. But now I was so intimately familiar with every step of the process that I knew it backwards and forwards and I just didn't have to follow instructions. And so that's what we did with, with the BioDries. We just dove in and just did it the way we intuitively or calculated it should be. And uh, that's how we got 50% concentration. Now, looking back and full, fully understanding this nano emulsification process, there's a lot of steps to where if your goal is to have a concentrated powder that are unnecessary. Uh, nano emulsification exists so that you can put a concentrated liquid into a larger vat and then and dilute it out and then have this this CBD drink. The, the powder version of it was an afterthought, in my opinion. So they got this concentrated liquid and then they spray dried it. And your maximum concentration that we've seen is maybe 15, 16, 17%. Most of the nano emulsification powders are like four or 5%. 10%, you know, around in there. And the, the formulas are wonky at best. They have a strong taste. They have, uh, you know, they'll, they'll make you change your recipe. Uh, they're acidic. Uh, the the BioDry and specifically CBD bake mix has literally zero impact on taste. It has zero impact on, on, uh, on the recipe. You just add it in. It's so concentrated. It, it's, it's not voluminous enough to affect what you're doing, you know, it's such a small percentage. And, and so how we were able to do that is not pay attention to the way it was currently made and, and sort of soil our, our thought process and try to make that process better. We just never learned it in full and just did it our way. Um, how do we know it works? Well, we, 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 we send the product to a third-party lab and have it analyzed uh, not only in its in its pure powder form, but uh, to put it in a muffin or a capsule and test the product as a complex, to test the ingredient as it as it sits in a more complex product, just to make sure that okay, it stayed stable through whatever process it it went through to get to that final product, and it works. The next step is we we partnered with uh, we have, we have a variety of. Uh, partners in different industries. We have a, a, 
uh, a doctor who specializes in rehab therapy, who is using some of these ingredients with, with her, her patients, uh, that's also enrolled into a, uh, a peer-reviewed peer case study. And so we'll, we'll be able to judge the real-world efficacy uh, of these ingredients uh, in, in finished products. And, and so th- that's how we come to the ingredient, and that's how we know the ingredient is, is, is going to be effective. Yeah, and so I saw that you have a partnership with uh, Gimway, Gimway Farms. Yeah, Grimway. Grimway is a large uh, organic, the largest organic farmer, I believe, in the United States. And uh, they they got into the the hemp growing business. And unfortunately, for farmers, it, it's been a tough go in recent years, where the biomass that they produce is not very valuable. It's not as as valuable as uh, they have been may have been sold at one point. You know, and that's a function of you know just a lot of people growing it. And like I said, it takes a, a lot of work to bring it into something valuable. And so uh, our partner with, with Grimway uh, is nice because we have a giant supply of ingredient. They're very consistent in, in their grows. And uh, we're not as, as prone to market fluctuations in price as other companies might be. So, you know, you, you have this, this agreement that, that allows us to have a large amount of uh, of, of product at a very consistent price over a long period of time. And, you know, if I'm a brand and I'm looking at one of these ingredients, that's one of the things that, that, that I'm concerned about. You know, over the years, you see these shortages and spikes in price of, of various commodities. And, and so <clears throat> the way to, with a way to lower your risk against that sort of flux or shortage or whatever is through these long-term relationships. And, and we're, we're, we're real happy to be uh, partnered with, with a company like Grimway. Yeah, that's great. And so now the, the farm bill that passed in 2018 opened a lot of eyes and it opened a lot of doors for, for this industry. And one of the things that it made very clear very quickly is, um, well, actually, it hasn't made it very clear. I wish it were more clear. But the, uh, the different concentrations of the phytocannabinoids in different parts of the plant. And so for a long time, there was like, oh, there's the marijuana part of the plant, and then there's the hemp part of the plant. And now, because of the, the wording within the farm bill, we're able to use the flowers from the, the cannabis plant that has extremely low levels of THC in order to extract the most possible phytocannabinoids from it. So I guess this is, question is twofold. Number one is Grimway taking advantage of that. And so you're able to use the flowers as the base for the extract, as opposed to the less concentrated you know, leaves and stems and things like that. Um, and so I guess we'll just start there. Yeah. So whenever you're making an ingredient, whenever you're making a product, you do have to declare on on the label where that active ingredient came from in terms of the part of the plant. And so uh, the aerial parts or the flower is is where most of the cannabinoids uh, live naturally. There are some in the leaves. There's some in the stems. I'm speaking a little bit out of school here because I am not a farmer and I'm not an extract uh, person. But just knowing that in general, so that's where you get the most for your labor dollar. And that's kind of how you have to think, in my opinion. And so uh, if you're able to harvest these buds and, and put them through the first level of extraction, when we get the product, it's at the crude stage. 
we're not dealing with biomass. Um, there's a lot of crude extractors out there. And sometimes you get some pieces of plant and, you know, it's, it's not a clean product. It's not ready for, for uh, general consumption, but it, it, it's 25% of the way down the road. It took that big first step from, from something that grows out of the ground into, into an oil. And so um, the, the flower is where you get the most bang for your dollar. And so that's, that's what we're receiving from, from the Grimway fellows. And um, uh, e- even if we go to a, a local farm and, and need something specific from somebody else, that's what we're sourcing. Cool. Very cool. So now you're in Pennsylvania, correct? Yes. And so Pennsylvania has a very robust and growing medical cannabis industry. Yeah. And so you're specifically working in THC-free zones right now. But being in a state where it is legal for THC, do you have any plans in creating extractions along those lines? Because... I imagine that this product would be incredibly beneficial for that side of the industry as well. Well, not specifically. Uh, the the um, and, and I'm not real familiar with the the, the THC uh, laws in the in in the in the state here. I know it's not it's not approved for uh, recreational use, but you know, for medicinal, it is. And and you know, my understanding is it's not very hard to get a you know a medical card. Uh, which is good news, you know that that's very good news. But uh, for us, the way we see us possibly interacting with that side of the industry is this biodrive product is actually a process that can be applied to any cannabinoid, including THC. And so t- changing it from the, again a sticky uh, same thing viscous. Prone, prone to, prone to uh, changing because of the environment where it is, heat, light, uh, you know that sort of thing. Changing it over to into this biodry form is how we would interact with with you know with the THC community, uh, and we're open to that. But but we we don't deal with THC in house here, and I don't think there are plans to get into it. We have our hands full with. You know what we're doing. We're you know really changing the way this ingredient is going to be consumed. So that's consuming us for right now. But we we have uh, talked internally about applying this process, you know, this biodry process to THC oils uh, to make them more accessible and easily easier uh, e- easier consumed and open up the variety. Uh, there's still a little bit of a stigma attached to it. Uh, as compared to CBD, you know, and so it, we have a little boy way to go in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, but I see us working with that side of the industry in the way of, of uh, lending our process to them. Right. Yeah. Because it, it would be so beneficial because some of the major issues with THC based medicine is that um, for the fastest action, you have to smoke it or vaporize it, which is not ideal. It's not super healthy. And then the other side is an edible solution or even a suppository solution, which has negligible efficacy. But the edibles tend to be sugar-filled confections, which is not the healthiest way to go. If you could have a small amount of a pill using this bio-dry process, it could really help the process, especially for folks that have stomach issues and things like that, which... THC is very, very good for. You don't want to be eating food, but if you could have just a tiny amount. Anyway, I'm rambling, but I, I see well, great possibility there for you guys. No, you're not rambling, and it's, it is important. And I do know that about about uh, your bout of IBS, and and I have um, a severely autistic son, uh, and he can't smoke. He doesn't understand the idea of smoking. 
um, you know, and, you know, to force an edible down, down his mouth, I can't see that being a, a possible, you know, something that I would want to do to him. So as a young adult, which he's going to be soon, uh, if it were a simple pill, that's, that, that's much more therapeutic. It, it falls in line with, with, with the, our, our version of normal, uh, you know, in the United States, at least. And um, in the pill form, all those same technologies with absorption and, and instead of doing a 20 milligram dose of THC, maybe you could bring it down to five, save some money and just have a 90% absorption rate, you know, and so a uh, biological value. So I'm not, I'm not saying that's what it would be, but that's the, that's the real world benefit of, of these types of ingredients is getting more out of less and, and, and not having to spend as much money to get there. And then you widen the audience, whether it be THC, CBG, CBD, whatever. That that's the goal here: make it easier to consume, reduce the costs, and widen the audience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a bit of a tangential turn, put the focus back onto CBD. Now, with the Farm Bill, it I think it had a lot of unintended consequences that the government didn't foresee, and one was you know. CBD gummy worms in a gas station. I don't think that they saw that happening because of this farm right. bill, but they did open the door for that to be a possibility. Now, the latest before all this COVID stuff happened, there were some rumblings out of DC that the FDA was going to take a really strong look at CBD to see if it needs to be reclassified away from a nutraceutical towards a pharmaceutical. I'm wondering if you have any understanding around that being a possibility or any plans to, uh, to work more in that direction if that's the way the FDA should choose to go? Well, the regulatory is the big, ultimately unknown variable here. And will it become a, a pharmaceutical exclusively? I seriously doubt it. I seriously doubt it because it has permeated so many sections uh, of just the, the free market, from whether it be a gas station or vitamin shop or or, you know, your doctor's office. I mean, literally it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's weird. It's at video stores and, you know, it's just, it's, it's strange. And, and here's what I tell people when, when they say that in a negative light, which I get, the reason why it's so popular is because it works. Definitely. The end, the end. Now it's also profitable right now. There's a lot of, there's a lot of price gouging going on and so that, that lends itself to some unscrupulous business practices. And, you know, you'll read in the news about improperly labeled products or products that don't meet label claim or silly claims that people make on the label. And, and so what we see is regulatory coming in and curbing those activities, you know, putting a, a, a high standard on the labeling and, and, and testing maybe even a higher standard than other nutraceuticals, which fine by me, right? But to to completely eliminate it, I think that the backlash is going to be too great. Uh, I think it's a, a, a step too far. And ultimately, the, the FDA and those governing bodies are run by people and people, there's this human element to all these different regulations. And I've sat down across the table from various FDA uh, administrators over the years. And their goal isn't to prop up pharma. It really isn't. It just so happens that there's one company out there, GW Pharmaceuticals, who's been working on this cannabinoid since 2003 and really studying it. And they put some serious work into it and they deserve a big cut of what's going on. And, and so that 
that's one of the, the big hurdles is, is understanding how can this ingredient exist both as a pharmaceutical and a nutraceutical, because that's the way it is right now. And at the top of the podcast, you talked about isolates. An isolate is a sure way to attract some negative attention by the FDA, because that's more the pharmaceutical side. And I'll give you an example, like say white willow bark. Uh, you know, white willow bark is a common herb or nutraceutical or however you want to classify it. And the, the active ingredient in white willow that helps alleviate pain is uh, salicylic acid, I believe, or something like that. And it's maybe, let's call it, and I don't know its natural percentage uh, concentration, but let's call it, it's naturally present at 10%, this, this, uh, this, this active component within white willow. If I, if I refine that white willow to make it 99% active ingredient, then I got a pharmaceutical. And now I'm infringing upon. So the, the idea that an ingredient has to exist in either pharmaceutical or nutraceutical is, uh, is wrong. There are plenty of ingredients that exist in both categories. The FDA is going to step in and say, give some maximum concentration levels. You know, they're going to be very strict on claims. They're going to be very strict on, on uh, potency. They may even recommend a maximum potency. You know, can't go th- more than this many milligrams per serving. All fine with that. But in, in terms of regulatory, that's the approach I see them taking is more of this coexistence. Uh, and that's the, truly the responsible approach. Unless some new science comes out that we find out how damaging the ingredient is, which there's no signs of. Uh, outside of that, I see, I see this coexistence of pharmaceutical, nutraceutical, and food ingredient all at, all at the same time, just with pretty strict regulations. And that, that'll weed out some of the smaller companies, unfortunately, uh, but it'll also raise the standard and, and, and just in general bolster the, the, you know, the right reliability of, of the product that you're seeing on the shelf. In short, we welcome regulation, responsible regulation in the way that I describe. That's great. That's great. And it's a really wonderful explanation too. So thank you for that. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so just going to be wrapping up a little bit here, but one thing that I wanted to touch on and it excited me also is that you shared uh, keeping an open mind and sleeping on things and using, oh, yeah. using sleep as, as a productivity tool and an innovation tool as well. And I th- thought that that was really convenient as you being in the CBD industry, which helps with that deep sleep, you know, that yeah. bringing that Delta sleep actually in. So yeah, we could talk to that just a little bit. Yeah, um, man, I forget the name of the doctor. It was a it was a podcast that I listened to, and 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 it first brought that idea to me is the term, all these old sayings, sleep on it, you know, or or you know, I, I can't think of another one, but it comes from somewhere. And so a, a good example is my daughter who's eleven. She's trying to she's a pitcher for softball, and she's trying to learn a changeup and a pitch a, a changeup. And fast pitch softball is a really wonky thing to throw. It's very, very unnatural. And so I said, listen, Julia, let's just do this like a hundred times. Let's just do it and pump it out as fast as you can and then not think about it. And sure enough, the next day, she was 10 times better and way better than how we left off. And your body has this ability to replay these events that happened during the day and the ones that you put a lot of focus on 
tend to get replayed again while you sleep. You know, you'd like, oh man, I did it so much, I dreamt about it. Well, that's your body's way of, of naturally improving because it's saying to, to itself, well, obviously it's important. You know, this, this dude did it 500 times all day long. So let's work on that tonight. And so that's a simplified version, but you sleep on it and wake up the next day. And, and, and so going through this bio drive process, there was a lot of sleep on it moments where we're, you know, pulling our hair out. And then the next day we come in and one of us says, I got an idea. You know, and it brought us closer to that final, you know, that final process. Um, and it's just not an old wives tale. There is real science on it. And I apologize. I don't I don't have any references for you. But if you look up on it and, the, you know, the, the, the science behind sleeping on it, you might be surprised what you find. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm no expert, yeah. but from what I understand, yeah. it has to do with a little bit of uh, myelin which is sort of the grease for the groove with your neurosynapses. And so yes. and that increases during times of deep sleep. And so when you're able to have extended periods of deep sleep, which is you know that deep, the delta brainwave sleep where nothing is happening, no dreams, no nothing, just growth, right. just brain growth, basically. It's right. super cool. Right. The, the correlation between the hours that you sleep and your learning capacity is a direct correlation. You know, um, and uh, the, the more you sleep, the more your, your capacity for learning just increases exponentially. You become healthier. You know, it's just a, a lot of benefits to sleep. And, and um, uh, yeah, but sleep on it's one of my things. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And I think that we're so yeah. prone to cognitive biases in our waking state that we have a habitual way of thinking about things. And if you're able to go to sleep and sort of pose a question to your subconscious before you fall asleep, your subconscious doesn't have any of these cognitive biases. It just is existing and pulling things from every last place that you've ever learned something in and is able to put things together that your conscious mind might not be able to do. Right on. Well put. Cool. Yeah. So it's fun. (laughs) I love that. I geek out about all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. So cognizant of your time here, I'm going to get to our very last question which is if there's one specific thing that you can see change within the medical cannabis industry, what would you like to see? That's a good question. I, I hadn't prepared for that one, but the first thing that pops into my mind, just being honest, uh, is regulation. You know, there, there's a lot of guesswork on, on the manufacturing side. You know, we're, we're an ingredient producer. That's how we view ours. We're a biotech company who produces ingredients. And so then we bring it to the next guy who puts it in a product, essentially. And, you know, the questions that they have on how this can be represented on a label, there's no answer to. There's a best avenue to take, but there's not the avenue to take. You know, if I'm making a protein product, I know exactly how to make it. You know, if I'm making some multivitamin, there are very clear cut rules on how to do it, how to dose it, the warnings all put out by the FDA, I would like to see more guidance. It ultimately, it'll normalize the ingredient. It'll normalize the industry and, and we can take it to the next step after that. Until then, you're going to find it in these gas stations and, you know, uh, uh, these odd places in various forms and in and, and various le- levels of reliability, unfortunately, until then. So being a, being a person in the industry, uh, I, I want it. I want it to be as regulated, responsibly regulated as possible. So if I had that wish for one thing, that'd be it. But I'm sure I'll think of something better. 
once we hang out. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of people are looking for more regulation, but this is an industry where it's needed because it's, it is the wild, wild. It is needed. There. Yeah, it is. Um, and that's a step in a maturing mar- market or a mature, you know, maturing industry. And that's, you know, obviously uh, what's needed most in my opinion. Right. Well, did I miss anything? Is there anything else that you want to cover? I think we covered it all. BioDry and its sister product, the CBD Bake Mix, like I said, uh, is is going to be officially available uh, sometime in September, probably early September. The company uh, is Hemp Synergistics. Search us on the web, find us that way. And we have a variety of professionals in-house. You know, I'm the product designer. We have actual formulation chemists who know more than me. You know, we have branding experts who are better branders than me. You know, and then everything in between the distribution and, and uh, uh, you know, and marketing in general, uh, we're, we're a full service company and it's an exciting time. And, and again, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about this stuff. Like I said, it's my first time speaking uh, out loud about it and, and um, uh, looking forward to what the future holds. Well, you did great. So don't worry about that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and it was excellent. Such great information and a really, really cool product and a really cool innovation within the space that we haven't seen yet. And I'm excited to see how much more creative you guys can get and maybe even get a a 10x concentration by avoiding all the rules that people usually play by. We'll see. I'll keep an open mind to it and then I'll sleep on it. (laughs) Okay, great. So again, it's, it's Hemp Synergistics is the company and you can find out as much as you need to about them by looking it up. Right. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for your time. I really appreciate it and have a beautiful day. Thank you, Matthew. You do the same. There it is, folks. Mark really brought some great information. And this BioDry sounds like such a cool product. I think it's going to make it possible for cannabinoids to be in almost anything. We'll be able to have access to this medicine in a way that we have not been able to have it before. It's so cool. And Mark's just a great guy. It's one of the great benefits of doing this show is that not only do I get to bring incredible information to all of you, I get to learn a lot myself and I get to meet some really cool people. Mark was definitely one of them. So I hope that y'all enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed being able to interview Mark and please check him out. Check out Hemp Synergistics and make sure you head over to Apple, head over to Google or Stitcher or Amazon or Spotify or wherever it is that you might be listening to this podcast and give me those five stars, five stars, woohoo, because I'd love to see those stars and I'd love to hear from you. So reach out, Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. And until next time, folks, please stay healthy and enjoy yourself. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro. And thank you for listening.